Hey, good morning, Linworth. Let's go ahead and stand. Uh, also, just want to welcome those of you tuning in online. Uh, if this is your first time joining us online or haven't done it in a while, I uh, just want to remind you to open up the YouVersion Bible app and go to events and click on Linworth Road Church. Uh, you'll find the song lyrics, teaching notes, announcements, and uh, some other cool stuff on there. So make sure you take advantage of that if you're watching online and uh, let's, let's lift our voices to the Lord.
I used to struggle singing this song because I felt like it was proclaiming words that I, I couldn't live up to. Like, most of the time, I don't surrender all to Jesus. Most of the time, I don't allow him to consume all of me. But the thing that I realized about this song is it's not a song singing what we're doing for what we're going to do. It's a prayer. Lord, help me to surrender all to you. Lord, help me to daily live in your presence. The Christian life is a life lived of pursuing these things every day. So as we sing this song this morning, let's let's pray these words. Let's beg the Lord that he would help us to surrender all to him.
something specific in your life that you need to surrender to him. It could be your finances. It could be a situation with a family member that you're trying to control. It could be an area of sin or idolatry. Let's just take a moment and pray and ask that he would Take these things from us. Proclaim to him that your desire is that he would take these things, that you want to surrender to them, that them to him. So let's just take a moment and do that. you help us to see our desperation for you Lord Lord the very air that we're breathing right now to even sing these words we're dependent on you for So knowing that, help us to know and realize these areas in our lives, these situations in our lives, we have very little control over. And we need you, Lord. We need you to empower us, to strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit to help us.
to thee in all to thee my blessed savior i surrender all. amen amen you can take a seat and uh, kids, you could be released to your classrooms. All right. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning to those of you with us and those of you joining us online. It's great to be here as we've, I think we've finally entered into fall. I know sometimes there's like a false fall and then it'll be scorching hot, but I think we've moved past that. I think we're into fall. So hopefully you're enjoying this weather and, and uh, good Buckeyes win yesterday. So again, if you are uh, visiting with us or, or if you're new to us, you've been around for a little bit and you need more information, you probably passed our Welcome Center. Please stop by there. We have uh, some information for you about small groups. Uh, you can get an album that we recorded with our worship band called Sing to the King, as well as get connected to a pastor or anything else. Uh, if you are not new and you would like to get connected or update information, uh, we have our Connect Cards. Those are right in front of you. You can reach out and grab one of those on the back of the chair and uh, just fill that out. It's a great way for you to connect with us and us to continue to connect with you. So please make sure you fill that out. There is also one for those of you that are online, you can fill that information out in the Bible app. So I just have a couple of announcements. Um, here we go. First announcement, this one's called Gospel Ready. Now we're gonna bring in Eric Chabot. Uh, Eric Chabot is a guy that just goes around. He's, he's a modern day apologist. He, will be able to answer questions for us to equip us to answer those questions when we have conversations with people in our everyday lives. So he is coming in on two consecutive Wednesdays. It's Wednesday, October 6th and the 13th. This is going to be an incredible experience, I think, because whether you're in ministry full time or not, and you share your faith, people, if people know that you follow Jesus, inevitably they'll ask questions about it, right? They'll ask questions like, you know, how do you prove that God exists because there's no proof in the Bible of God. Or they'll say things like, how can you say Jesus is the only way of salvation? And if people have ever asked you these questions and you don't know how to answer them, then please join us on these two Wednesdays with Eric Chabot to help us learn how to answer those questions. So again, it's a Wednesday evening, two Wednesday evenings, October 6th and 13th from 7 to 8.30. There's no cost, you just have to show up. Okay, second announcement. If you remember, uh, we've, we've shown videos of our own Abby Hubacher who is serving with YWAM, which is Youth with a Mission in Australia. And she's currently doing a fundraiser. So she has designed four Christmas cards. Uh, you will be able to purchase these Christmas cards for 25 US dollars. There's no conversion or anything like that. That was my first question. So you'll receive a set of 12 Christmas cards, three of each of the four designs, uh, we do actually have sample uh, Christmas cards over at the Welcome Center, and 
there's just a, it's a great way to support what she's doing in Australia. You can learn more information on how to purchase and, and just figure it out uh, at the website that we have listed on the Bible app. You can also contact Abby directly. Her email is in there. And just so you know, uh, as you purchase the cards on the link, you have to write Christmas cards in the gift notes section. And again, that website is in the Bible app and you should have also gotten an email with that. So lastly, uh, speaking of missions, this month we would like to introduce to you Boban and Gabby Yakimovsky. I think I said that right. Uh, they serve on the mission field with crew in Skopje, Macedonia, and they're gonna tell you just a little bit more about who they are and what they do. friends. Uh, my name is Bobby, Bobby Yakimovsky, and this is my wife uh, Gabi or Gabriela Yakimovska. Um, we're from Macedonia, actually North Macedonia, new name of our country. And we serve with, with Campus Crusade. Uh, we're married since 2009 and we have four children. Our oldest son, his name is Luca, he's 10 years old. Our second boy is Philip, he's eight years old. And we have two girls, Adelina, she's almost four, and Anastasia, who just turned two years. Both of us got called in the mission field since when we are students. So we serve with Campus Crusade for Christ International, serving with uh, college, university students, and high school students. Since 2008, for me and my wife joined the same ministry in 2009. Uh, now I'm a leader of the, uh, the ministry here in Macedonia for a student ministry, and my wife is also involved with the full-time with the same ministry. Uh, we, together with another 14 staff, we're serving uh, uh, with Campus Crusade, uh, reaching university students in all around Macedonia. Our vision is win, build, and send Christ-like disciples, lifetime labors. We like to see how our country is getting changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our connection with Lindbergh Church is through Dale Schuller. We met him 2013 and 2016. So we are very thankful to our Lord Jesus Christ that Linward uh, start to support us prayerfully and financially. Thank you very much for your uh, investments in reaching the lost students in Macedonia for Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was the four kids in the background, I guess. I don't know. Somebody just fell off a swing. They're bleeding, screaming, and uh, mom and dad are doing a video and not paying attention to them. So um, anyway, so hello, Linworth. How's everybody doing? Good. Hey, Alex, I think uh, it's going uh, to be in the 80s next week, buddy. Yeah. I mean, sorry. I'll give you his phone number and when he hits that you can text him and just uh, let him know that fall is not here yet it's trying okay 
Well, hey, if, uh, my name is Rich Hendricks, and I'm the family pastor here. If, you, if this is your first time here and we haven't met, and so I want to say welcome also to uh, any of our, our guests here. Uh, if you know me at all, you know that um, I am from California, 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 <laughs> and you're probably, uh, I probably talk too much about it, right? Okay. Anyways, as a matter of fact, I'm, uh, I'm going to go uh, there this afternoon after, uh, after the service here. And if you think about it, I appreciate your prayers. I'm going to go back there to work through some of my uh, mom and dad's estate stuff. And uh, so I would appreciate that. So although I love a lot of things from California and about California, one thing I don't love that is prevalent there in coastal areas is termites. Okay, they are little boogers, uh, and I got a picture of one there for you. That's like the, that's a queen termite. Okay, and a little fun fact for you here: that queen produces thirty thousand eggs a day, one every three seconds for fifteen years. She continually lays eggs until she dies. And uh, for those of you that are pregnant in here, you're probably thinking, thank you, Jesus, it's one at a time. And it's like, okay. <laughs> Anyways, but these termites, they, they love wood, all right? And um, to get rid of them, you have to do some drastic things. Now, things have changed a little bit um, here, but uh, what you would do in California, we had to do this to our house, where we still have our original house that I'm going back to, is we'd have to, uh, we have some pictures here, you'd have to tent them up like this, okay? So you'd be driving through a neighborhood and you'd see these, these tents, um, over this house, completely sealed, and then they would pump this poisonous gas into uh, there and leave it for, I don't know how many days, and so supposedly it killed um, all the, the termites, and so they'd get done, and they'd take it down, and they said, oh yeah, come back in, I know we just put a bunch of poisonous gas in there, and you know, you can eat off your plates, and uh, hopefully the food is not, you know, it's all right. So um, anyway, so that happens, but um, the thing is, is that if if you don't take care of them, and if you tolerate them, and you let them be there, and a lot of times you really aren't 100% sure if they're there. If you tolerate, this is what happens. And so that's an actual house that is collapsed because of termites eating the wood. And, uh, and so that is ultimately what, what happens there. So if you're in California, and you're driving through a neighborhood, and you see a tent, it's not a bounce house invitation, okay, to a party. They're killing termites. So why did I bring this up? Why did I use this illustration? Um, well, the church in Thyatira, um, this is our fifth church in Revelation that we're talking about, they had a termite problem. It started with a queen termite by the name of Jezebel, and the church tolerated this infestation, and it infected the church, and it caused destruction there. See, the thing about termites is that if you tolerate them or you pretend that they are not hurting or they're not doing that much, it's a lie. Because they're such tiny little things and you think, oh, there's a little dust there. It's no big deal, right? Well, behind that dust is, remember, 30,000 a day, one every three seconds. There's a lot back there. And it's not like what you can't see won't hurt you. No, it's what you can't see will hurt you. And so uh, you can see little evidence, but if you let it go, then it's kind of boom. 
So there are other things like that too, right? Like pre, pre-cancerous, you know, growth. So like if you, you have something on you and you have a pre-cancerous growth or a tumor, you know, your doctor wants to take care of that, get rid of it, um, because we don't want it to turn into cancer. So if this is your first week with us here, we are in our, um, uh, in our series, Jesus in Revelation. We've already heard Jesus speak to the churches of Ephesus and Smyrna and uh, Pergamon, and now we're going to hear him speak to the church in Thyatira. And as we have stated, these are seven literal, real, historical churches. Jesus is writing a specific letter to each one based on the church's condition and the need of that church. And these words to these churches, what we have to understand is they're uh, transcendent, and they speak to every generation. They speak to church history. They speak to now. They speak to the greater body of Christ at large, including the church once again today. And it's important for us as we read these to check ourselves and to check our own churches against Jesus's word in each of these seven churches. And so as I did a couple of weeks ago, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to pay attention you might find a little or a lot of yourself in one of these churches. And so it's important as you hear the words and you think, well, that's not really me. Well, I want you to just sit back and see what the Lord has for you. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Be a learner. Be a listener. Because none of us are above the possibilities of what Jesus is speaking to these seven churches. Okay. We've also pointed out that in each of these uh, letters, there's a pattern. Jesus reveals himself to each church. He commends them. Uh, he critiques uh, some things that are wrong. He counsels them on how to correct. And then he follows up with a promise of a reward to those that overcome. And so following that somewhat, uh, that pattern here this morning, we're introduced to the church of Thyatira. Okay. And so what we're going to do is that we're going to look at the church so who they are and where this church is located, the characteristic of Jesus for this church, what he, how Jesus described himself to this church, the commendation, which is the things that Jesus saw and knew and was proud of them, um, things that he saw that was good, the charge against them by Jesus. So what Jesus said that they were doing that uh, he didn't appreciate, it was wrong, or what he had against them, the correction, what Jesus said they needed to do and the crown, the reward for obeying his correction and overcoming that. And so we'll be done by next week sometime. And so just stick with me. But yeah, they're all C's, okay? And I just want to let you know, I never am able to do this, okay? I'm just not that clever. And for some reason, by accident, they all start with a C. So um, deal with it. As my good friend Kay says, there you go. So, all right. <laughs> Let's stand and read God's word together. This is Revelation. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 uh, through 28. Let's see if I can get to it here. Okay, Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Here we go. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and, those, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, 
and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent from her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not lay, I, I, excuse me, Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and the one who keeps the works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for inviting us into your presence. And, uh, Lord, I pray this morning as we walk through a lot of these verses here that um, you would indeed uh, speak to us. Um, you would help us to see um, what this church was like and what was happening. And that we would be able to respond, that we would be able to reflect, that we would be able to learn of the things that we uh, need to do and the things we don't need to do as followers of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can go ahead and uh, take a seat. Okay, let's start with the church and, and the city here, Thyatira. So according to many sources that, um, that I consulted, William Barclay, um, uh, Walford, Haley's Bible Dictionary, T. Scott Daniels, a bunch of different places, um, Thyatira, it was halfway between uh, Pergamos or Pergamum, the church is there, and Sardis. So it was about 30 uh, to 40 miles from each of these. And it, it was really just kind of the gateway to Pergamos um, which was the capital of that area there. I think we have a map. I think uh, Chris showed this last week. Um, is it showing there? Okay. Actually, I'm not seeing it there, so there's the map. So you get an idea of what it is. It was the, kind of the smallest and least important of the seven cities Jesus addressed here in Revelations 2 and 3. And I just, that's, I didn't know that. It's just basically from what I learned here. And according to Barclay, the elder Pliny dismisses Thyatira in the almost contemptuous phrase saying, Thyatira and other unimportant cities. And so he, he didn't see it as very important. But that said, Thyatira was an important center of business and trade. So it had, had some things going for it. It had many active trade guilds, uh, potters, tanners, weavers, robe makers, um, uh, dyers. Um, dye, they didn't dye, they didn't, it wasn't, yeah, it was cloth. Okay, you got that? All right. Um, and so if you remember Lydia, right? Lydia was uh, the seller of purple in, uh, um, in Philippi, and uh, she was a convert uh, there from Paul. And in Acts 16, 14 tells us that Lydia uh, was from Thyatira. Also, the main god that was worshipped here 
uh, was Apollo, the sun god. It was primarily uh, the main god, and each of these cities seemed to have uh, a god that they worshiped. But what was unique about Thyatira is that each of these guilds also kind of had their own personal um, god, Greek god or Roman god, that they would worship. And, uh, and so uh, that happened a lot. And as we see, we're going to see how that comes into play into the lives of the church here. Uh, one of the sources said that it is interesting that this is seemingly the most insignificant church of all the seven churches, but Jesus had the most to say to them. All right, let's take number two, the characteristic of Jesus, which is, um, you know, his characteristic that he talked about that was relevant to this church here. So if you've uh, been following along with us in our series, you would remember that Jesus does indeed identify himself to each of the churches in terms appropriate to that church and appropriate to the struggles of that church. So he's speaking directly to them. And it's taken from the descriptions of Jesus that was shown to us in the first chapter. So in this case here for Thyatira, how does Jesus identify the church of Thyatira? Well, let's look at it, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, or in another translation, these things say the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And so as I said, each of the descriptions of Jesus come from this introduction in chapter one. But here in this, in this case here, uh, Jesus changes up things a little bit here. In chapter one, he is identified as the son of man, which speaks of his humanity, his connection to us. We're able to relate to him uh, fully man, fully God. So that, that part of him, we're able to relate to his humanity and, and he can identify then also with us. But here he changes up and he describes himself to the church in Thyatira as the son of God, which identifies his deity. And this is important because of the authority that he is speaking in to the church. It tells us of his absolute holiness. It tells us of his righteousness. And it also tells us that he has perfect character, including perfect judgment, which is going to come into play in this letter. So first, he identifies the church here, his deity. Then he speaks of his eyes, which are like blazing penetrating fire. J.A. Sice, a theologian from the 1800s, speaking of his fiery eyes, says this. There's nothing more piercing than flaming fire. Everything yields and melts before it. It penetrates all things, consumes every opposition, sweeps down all obstructions, and presses its way with invincible power. And of this sort are the eyes of Jesus. They look through everything. They pierce through all masks and coverings. They search the remotest recesses. They behold the most hidden things of the soul, and there is no escape from them. As the Son of God, he is omniscient as well as almighty. So if you're wearing a mask this morning, God can see through that. I just want to let you know, okay? So... The thought here is that God's eyes illuminate everything. They penetrate, seize all things, and even the hidden things in our life. And he's communicating something to this church and to us, isn't he? In this language here specifically, um, he's speaking about evaluating and looking. And as we look, he's talking about judging based on what 
he sees and finds in their lives. But there's something that's really important because you know, we, as we begin this, this part of uh, this scripture here, you can kind of start feeling like this is kind of heavy. Uh, this isn't like a feel good, uh, fuzzy wuzzy message. The Lord is getting serious here with this church, but what is important to remember about Jesus is that Jesus's goals ultimately is to heal, not condemn, if we're willing to listen and to change and heed his instructions. It reminds us of John 3, 17, which says Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. All right, the final description Jesus gives of himself is his feet are like burnished bronze or shiny bronze. And very simply, in the Bible, it's uh, bronze or brass is, is, is used as a symbol of judgment. And so he was coming, he was communicating to the church, I am aware of you, I see, I am prepared to deal with or judge the sin that is permeating your church, whether you see it or not, or whether you acknowledge it or not, just like the termites. Guys, this is, it's not a happy letter. In its core, this is God judging uh, this church. Uh, but you will find that there is some encouragement within the letter also. So, verse 24, excuse me. Um, it says uh, uh, a little bit later, who had be, those who had begun to tolerate the deep things of Satan. And so uh, what he's getting at here is somehow Satan has made it into this church and they begin to tolerate what he had to say, the deep things of Satan. And so he has seen something that's not good here, but before he gets to it, he has some really neat things to say to the Christians there. And it's kind of fascinating because of where we're going and uh, it's a little bit confusing, but it's good. So number three, the commendation, the good things that Jesus was proud of this church and that he saw them doing. Verse 19 says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. So it's like, oh, this church is pretty good. Let's go to that church. I like that church. This was a growing church. You know, can that be my church? What if that was our church? And that was, you know, uh, on the entrance or on their website, it said these things. Hey, Jesus, you know what Jesus says about us? He says, we have love and faith and service and patient endurance. And so um, Jesus is really accommodating. They are doing good things. There are great things happening in this church. They were doing the work. They had love. As a matter of fact, it was the only church of the seven that Jesus approved them for their love. The Greek word for love used here was agape, which is, um, which is the good stuff, unconditional love. They had faith, and so they displayed this faith. They had faith in, in Jesus, and it can also be translated, they had faithfulness. And they served. They were ministering and serving others. Um, as a matter of fact, the word here used for service is the same word used for deacon. And finally, they had patience. The Greek here means staying power under severe adverse circumstances. And so a, a real steadfastness, if you will. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus finishes up saying, but not our, only are you growing in all these things, in the work that you were doing, in the love and the faith and the service and the patience, but you're even better than when you started. In other words, they were getting better and stronger in these areas. And that's exciting. And it must've been so encouraging. 
Now, if it could only have stopped there, right? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if the person was read, reading this letter to him was like, like, gets done with this part and goes, okay, that's good. Okay, Bartholomew, worship team, why don't you come on up? Let's do a few songs here. Maybe we'll take communion and, and just stop there. Uh, unfortunately, that uh, Bartholomew did not come to stage and lead worship, but it continues. So they seem to be uh, a church that was growing. They were growing in holiness. They were becoming more like Jesus. And in many ways, uh, uh, they were, well, how, what do I want to say? I think what I want to say about this church is that as we look at the rest of the letter, you can't dismiss this at all. These things were true about this church. They were true. So what about us? If we were taking an inventory of our church, would we be able to say these things? What about ourselves? A little gut check here. Are these things happening in my life? Let me give you just a second to think about that. Do you think these things were happening, are happening in your life? Am I growing in love, in faith, in service, in patience? And am I growing more than when I first became a believer? Take a little self-inventory there. And so if Jesus was to stop there, you know, right? It would be good. It would be good. Jesus had more to say here, just as he does in five of the seven churches. There is some instruction. There is some criticism and there's some correction coming. And it comes because Jesus's love for the church and us. This is the reason it is because he loves us. The writer in Hebrew quotes Proverbs 3 verses 11 through 12. It says, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves, just like a parent to a child. We discipline because we love. We don't want to see them get hurt. We want to see them succeed. We want to see them move on. We want to see them to grow. Friends, he's wanting us to become more like him. He's wanting us to get ready to be with him for all of eternity. He has the same goal for the church in Thyatira. All right, let's look at the charge. This is what Jesus said they were doing wrong uh, and what he had against them. Verse 20. But, and there's that very important transitional word whenever you read your God's word, but or therefore, in this case, even it's translated nevertheless in some translations. He says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, or because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. And so Jesus is saying, church, love isn't your problem. Faith isn't your problem. Neither is your service or your patience. All of that stuff is good. Your problem is that you have let sin in 
to your midst. Remember Chris last week talked about that back door, leaving that back door open and how uh, we leave that back door open and things come in and Satan can come in. Well, in this case here, he's made it into the church and he's no longer on the outside, but he's inside and he's fellowshipping with the saints there in Thyatira through this person called, uh, who they call Jezebel. And so they're tolerating this and they're compromising for some reason. And we'll get to, to that as, you know, why would they, why, why would a church that is so wonderful and so amazing, how could they get stuck in this situation where they let somebody into their midst who's teaching contrary doctrine to what they have been taught, let this exist, tolerate it. How does that happen? How does that happen? What is the reason? We're going to get to that. And so by tolerating this, this, this situation, in a sense, by not dealing with it, what they're doing is that they're sending a message that, that they approved of it. They were not confronting it. So sin has come into their, uh, their midst here. And we got to uh, mark something here. Uh, so it's not like, uh, so they were tolerating the sin. It's not like a person who maybe you're discipling or you're working with who has sinned and yet you are working with them and they're, um, they're confessing it and they're repenting and they're growing. This wasn't happening with this person. They were there and it was infecting the church. There was no repenting going on. There was no, from what we understand, uh, I, we don't know, we're not there confronting going on. And so maybe by, by just tolerating and not dealing with it, they were hoping it would just go away if they would ignore it, right? I don't see it. I don't hear it. Uh, Jesus can't see, see this, right? He went to heaven, right? That whole ascension thing. He's not here. He can't see. Can he? Is he here? Okay. Or maybe they were fearful what, what would happen if they confronted this person with sin. Maybe as a church, they thought, you know, if we, if we get into this here, uh, we're going to lose a lot of people. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to leave the church because we, we're confronting a sin. Maybe that was a part of it. But it was eating them from the inside out. Remember again the termites. John Stott put it bluntly. In that fair field, a poisonous weed was being allowed to luxurate. I wish I could come up with words like that. In that healthy body, a, malig a malignant cancer had begun to form. An enemy was being harbored in the midst of the fellowship. And so you have this wonderful looking church and somehow, some way, there is a spirit of tolerating sin. The, this moral compromise there was there and it had taken root. And the danger here, it wasn't coming from the outside. It wasn't people, it, it wasn't, they weren't being persecuted in a sense. It was from the inside. Once again, remember, remember this message, remember termites, okay? So how do we get our heads around this? What is the reason or possible excuse for this? Um, you know, what was tied up with the uh, Thyreans that this was happening in their church? how they found themselves here. Well, first, let's quickly look at this Jezebel. Uh, there's a few different explanations. We're not going to go deep into this at all as to who she was. But the consensus is basically that she was a female member of the church who was promoting destructive heresies 
and doctrine and leading many into moral compromise. Uh, she was a, a real person, but her name probably was not Jezebel. It was a symbolic name for her. I mean, that's like naming your son like Lucifer, right? You know, because of what I mean. Uh, maybe she had a brother, who knows? The name is a reference to the Old Testament Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 16, who married a king and led Israel into wicked idolatry, sexual sin. Ultimately, it didn't end well for her. It's pretty gross, fulfilled prophecy, something to do with dogs and her body, and it, that just didn't end well for her. Anyways, you'll have to read it if you want, 1 Kings chapter 16. But her name is symbolic of evil, of wickedness. In other words, what we're seeing here is kind of the spirit of Jezebel. And she was reviving the immorality, or uh, yeah, the immorality of her namesake here. In other words, in spite of all the good things that the church was doing, they were allowing a satanic spirit to introduce and teach immorality into their church. Sam Storm said this about her. This disreputable so-called prophetess was as wicked and dangerous an influence in Thyatira as Jezebel had been to Israel in the Old Testament. And so something to note here, too, is that she wasn't a real prophetess as far as biblically, okay, in a sense. She called herself a prophetess uh, in the scripture. But it doesn't mean that Satan obviously uh, couldn't use her. He was. And it doesn't mean that, that uh, in the spiritual end of things that she could um, have prophecies that were true, that would then therefore confuse the saints that were there. It seemed that people in the church believed that she was indeed a prophet. All right, so let's get back to this charge here. Look what he said they allowed her to do. Um, back in verse 20, she said that you tolerate that woman who he names Jezebel. Tolerate, what does that mean? Well, to me, without defining it all the way, they knew it was wrong. I mean, when you're tolerating something that is, that is wrong, um, they knew it. They know they shouldn't have, uh, have been tolerating, but they were letting it happen. And the Greek here for tolerate means, it's a sense here meaning they kept forgiving. So they knew it was wrong, they kept forgiving. They kept saying, oh, in a sense, this is okay. This is okay. We get, and we get sense from the scriptures, not even a sense, but directly that God offered, Jesus offers her, uh, um, offers, her, offers her to repent. And she doesn't repent. So uh, they say, it's okay. It's okay. So there's rumblings going on. They keep forgiving her. Secondly, we can uh, surmise why this must be. And we're going to get into that. So what were they tolerating? Her teaching, seducing his servants. He says, my servants to practice sexual morality, eat food sacrificed to idols. What it was in sense is that she was teaching a different doctrine than what they had been taught. And we can pick that up from verse 24. If you looked a couple verses down there, uh, when Jesus is, is commanding those who weren't compromising, uh, weren't taking in what she was teaching here. It says, who do not hold to this teaching or, or doctrine, okay? And so this new, this teaching was pretty much what like Pastor Chris last week described for us last week. The, the, I'm gonna call it the doctrine of, of Greek dualism or you know, part of Gnosticism. Uh, it's the belief that all that was flesh and material was wicked and evil, and you really, you couldn't do anything about it. I mean, why fight it? And so it separated the flesh 
from the soul. And so if you couldn't do that, then you can just do anything you want. And it didn't matter how it affects you. It's not going, no matter what you do, it's not going to affect your spiritual standing with God. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do in the flesh. The spirit is what matters. And you can see how wicked that is. Remember, I mean, it's just, and can you, can you see in a very warped way? Like, well, that sounds pretty good. I like that. You know, I can just go out and get drunk and you know, do this, do that or whatever. It doesn't really matter because I'm still saved. God still sees me as okay. And so when this thinking, this doctrine gets got into them, uh, um, and as we'll see as, as we talk about their businesses here, um, it was favorable to them. T. Scott Daniels in his commentary reiterated the truth that God doesn't divide our lives into the physical and the spiritual or the sacred and the secular. God does not allow us to segment our lives in that way. We don't get to say, oh, this is the business part of my life. This is my family part. This is my spiritual part and so on. Although we at times may assume different roles or responsibilities, God sees our lives as a unified whole. Thus one can't say to God, it's not spiritual, it's business, because it all belongs to him. And so this was a problem for Jezebel and the Christians of Thyatira. So what was happening? Why were they allowing this? Why were they tolerating this? This just seems so confusing. So to try and understand a bit how she was able to infiltrate, to get in there, to come through that back door, make herself present, and bring this teaching into the church, um, and for this all to come up about, um, we have to go back and talk about the living situation, especially the guilds here, okay? Remember the guilds we talked about earlier? From what we know, it was pretty much known that in order for people to survive, to make a living, you had to belong to these different trade guilds. In his book on Revelation, author Bruce Metzger writes that it was economic suicide to reject even just the minimum requirements for guild membership. So in order for these guys to survive economically, they had to participate in them. Barclay said that the draw to the guilds and their meetings, it was very, very powerful. Apparently no merchant or trader could hope to prosper or make money unless he was a member of a trade guild. And so not only that, but a lot of these trade guilds, they were connected to a, a pagan god. And so being a part of them, you were expected to participate in whatever, whatever it is, that the things that they did, their meetings, you go down to the, to the Moose Lodge or whatever, and you go down to the, um, the, the die place and you have a meeting. And so they worship, um, part of their meetings, they worship whatever God it is. And a part of that uh, we know uh, is immorality and sexual immorality and other things that take place. And so uh, you had to do some of their stuff, recognizing these gods. This is what Jezebel was drawing them to. And so you could see how you could kind of justify this you know, by saying, you know, this is my living. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to provide for my family? What do you want me to do? I have to live. I have to provide. Uh, should I make money or should I be a Christian? And so this became confusing, I think, for them. And it was really a tough predicament that the church and the Christians found themselves in. 
But think of the cost. Think, think about you. You're, you're there in that place. And you have a thriving business. You belong to one of these guilds. Somebody shares the gospel uh, with you. Somebody talks to you about Jesus. And uh, you know what happens to the Christians when they, when the, who the Christians are. And so you're making a decision to follow Christ. What do you have to give up? If you decide to be a follower of Christ, your business is probably gonna crash and burn. So they were in a, in a tough predicament. But the same thing happens for many Christ followers today all around the world. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the Afghan Christians. We talked and we prayed for them and they're in that same predicament. Um, by not uh, following along with the religion of the land, they suffered economically. And so Jezebel, she fed into this. And it seems that they tolerated this false doctrine for survival. Now, um, I think this is the main reason. Uh, there may be other reasons, but this is just in this message. You know, we don't have a long time to get into, but I think it, it had a lot to do from an economic standpoint, how they were to live and survive in this world. If they bought into the doctrine of the separation of the body and the spirit, it made it easier for them to succumb to this here. So they were, in verse 20, tolerating her teaching, and she was seducing uh, God's servants. Look at the word seducing here. It's a strong word in the Greek. It means leading astray, taking a person completely off track. A form of that same word is used for as a title of Satan back at, or, or a little bit later in Revelation chapter 12. All right, let's keep moving here. Uh, the correction. This is what Jesus said they needed to do. Two parts, one negative and one positive, okay? Verse 21 says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So the first part of this correction was to Jezebel and to those that followed her. Um, Jesus offered her an option to repent. Isn't that just like Jesus? I think of our lives. I mean, isn't it one of the most, the hardest things to come when you first come to Jesus is that, but you, you don't know what I've done. You, how would Jesus accept me? Why, why, would he, why would he want to love me? I'm a terrible, terrible person. So we have to get over that, that hump that, no, Jesus loves you anyways, and he, and he is going to uh, receive you. And so Jesus offers this, this option to repent, and it's just like him, right? It's a beautiful picture of God's grace. It's a beautiful picture of how uh, Jesus is long-suffering towards us. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But according to this verse, if you don't, there are consequences. And this is where judgment comes in. And so he said, 
I gave her time to repent. What she did to that church, and Jesus still offered her forgiveness. Man, it's amazing. But God does have a limit. Jesus wanted all to know that he fiercely protects his church, that he fiercely protects his bride. He is working to make it pure, to be with him for all of eternity. That's us, folks. That's us. Amen, I heard somebody say. So in this verse, um, I, I'm not going to dig into the, the children thing and all that there, but I'm not sure if this is physical children or spiritual children, those who had followed um, her, who she seduced into her practice. Either way, the holiness of God, the holiness of Jesus was uh, needed to make a judgment here. The Bible says, therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of the Lord, with the character of the Lord, it's all. We need to understand that he is good, but that he will also judge sin. God is holy and he is not going to suffer. Um, he's not going to suffer rebellion forever. He takes it so seriously that he sent his son, right, to die pay the price for our rebellion and that was death on a cross for our sins and just as a note here to kind of um, as we talked about as, as we have this tough part here about the children the story of Annas and Sapphira right they were believers and God was willing to use death in their lives as a judgment in the church in Acts chapter 5 so the second part is for those this is good guys are you depressed? Don't, don't be depressed. The second part of this is that those have remained faithful. Verse 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching or this doctrine, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, so we know that Satan's involved here, to you I say, um, I do not lay on you any other burden, only just hold fast what you have until I come. And I love this, just hang on. Just hang on, you remember? It's like the famous picture of that little cat right on the bar hanging. Yeah, that, that came out about 30 years ago. But anyways, I date myself. It was obvious that although there was compromise and there was tolerance of sin in this church, there were plenty in this church that just said no and that they were not going to participate. Now, I don't know how that all works, we weren't there. I don't know what those dynamics looked like there. But to those, Jesus said, I want you to hang on. Don't waver. Don't put up with it. I got you. I got you. I'm here for you. And so finally, then what is the reward for those that overcome to hang in there? Well, it's uh, keeping with the C's here. We're going to call it the crown. Verse 26. The one who conquers or overcomes and who keeps my works until the end to him, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule, the word rule here meaning shepherd, them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So two things, we're gonna be finishing up here. First, when this is all said and done, Jesus is saying, 
to those who hang in there, hang with them, stay faithful. You're coming with me and you're gonna rule the world with me. You're gonna rule the world with me. Secondly, the best part is you get me. You get me. Jesus is the morning star. Nick, why don't you uh, make your way up here? Um, or should we call you Bartholomew? Um, let's see if we can wrap this up and get uh, a little bit personal here. Verse 29 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now we find this in each of the letters of the church. But it's, it's, he finishes here because he wants us to, to actually ingest, to hear and ingest what he has to say. Let him hear. Let us hear. Jesus asks us to listen to the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm asking you this morning. What message does the Holy Spirit have for you here this morning? Listen to the Holy Spirit. Are you listening? Are we listening as a church here? And so if you are indeed listening, you know, what is, what is Jesus? What is the Holy Spirit telling you? What are you hearing from him in this letter? We heard about what seems to be this amazing church. It was full of love. It was full of faith. It was full of service. And it was growing in all these areas, the kind of church that you and I want to belong to. A church maybe that we would say, that's what we are. That's what we do. But the church, they invited the world into their church, okay? And it had settled into it. And they tolerated it. Some in that church, and since it was in that church, it was being tolerated. And so he goes back here. He who has an ear to hear. And, and so do we, do we hear the seriousness of tolerating sin in the church and tolerating sin in our lives? And when we say that, always remember, Jesus is a reconciler to himself, right? He is a forgiver. So it can take place. So with that said, going back, are we tolerating that in our church, in ourselves? Think about your life. Have you invited and tolerated the world into your life? So much in a sense that it affects how you, you think, that it pulls you away from Jesus, that it causes you to tolerate things that you know you shouldn't tolerate, to compromise, allows you to tolerate sin in your own life and to excuse it out of your life. Are there places of compromise uh, that I take so that I can fit in, that I can be relevant and, and, and so, uh, that I will be accepted by my friends, by my peers, by my roommates. See, the spirit of Jezebel was not unique. This church here in Thyatira, uh, it's alive today. All you have to do is just kind of look around. All you have to do is kind of read the news reports, things that are happening with the body of Christ. So let's take a look at us, Linworth, and let's take a look at ourselves. Let's take it an inventory. Are we tolerating? How's our doctrine? How's your doctrine? 
Are you believing something contrary to God's word? Let's become Bereans, as it says in Acts 17, 11, to see if these things are of God or not. Pastor Sam Storm had a good word to end here. He said, it would do well to heed Paul's counsel. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. That's in 1 Thessalonians. Hold on to your love. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your ministry. Hold on to your patience. Continue to grow. Do not compromise. Okay, church? Amen? Amen. Let's worship the Lord.
Until you are, until you are. 
church you know Jesus is crazy about us and he wants to present his bride the church pure and holy and so he's gonna work these things out in our lives and so if you find and you have a root maybe of sins in your life something there let's yank that baby out okay and guess what the Lord will yank it for you so I want you you know if there's something there uh, that you need to confess to him. Confess that to him. Don't hold on to it. Don't tolerate it. Confess and receive his forgiveness. Receive his blessing. Um, if there's something that you're struggling with that, and you, you just want to be prayed over, um, and uh, once you come up here after the service, so I'll be here, there'll be a few others, and we can pray with you. Uh, if you're new, we'd love to meet you. Thank you so much once again if you are visiting with us. Let's go ahead and uh, end with a benediction here, a blessing. This is going to be from Numbers 6, 24, probably my favorite. And it's, this is going to be in the New King James Version. And so lift your hands up if you feel comfortable. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Have a great day.